Hello and welcome to CMO Convo, the podcast from CMO Alliance, where we look at the big picture issues facing CMOs and top-level marketers. Today, we're speaking to Jeff Coyle, co-founder and chief strategy officer for Market News. And Jeff's going to be diving into SEO content strategies with us, particularly how you can harmonize the needs of humans and search box. Hi, Jeff. Welcome to CMO Convo. How are you doing today? Hi, Will. It's good to see you. Uh, doing great. Just looking forward to this discussion. Awesome. Yeah, it's, a, it's going to be a very interesting um, conversation, um, especially because you're not a CMO. You're one of the, uh, the few people who are featured on the show who isn't a CMO or a head of marketing. So maybe you can tell us a bit about your background and why you're speaking to us today. Well, sure. And at, um, at Market Muse, uh, during the, my evolution of roles, uh, having been the co-founder and now the chief strategy officer, I was acting CMO. Um, and that was always going to be my career path, uh, was to be in a CMO role. Um, but then the whole founder bug got me. Um, and when you're a founder, you end up doing a lot of things. Uh, so there was a period of time where I was managing marketing, also product data science and engineering. Um, <clears throat> my background, I've been in the search engine lead generation content strategy space for over 22 years, um, which as, that, as scary as that sounds, I went to Georgia Tech for computer science and usability theory, um, but quickly jumped into a product role at one of the first companies who was selling leads to technology companies. So this was like before people even had content on their websites, <laughs> practically um, search engines were just kind of becoming a thing, but I studied search engine design um, and user interface uh, software um, <clears throat> and really found myself at a place where um, they hadn't really, you know, there was owning traffic or managing inbound wasn't really a thing, but I recognized that that was going to be a big way for us to grow um, and ended up managing all the traffic and lead gen uh, for Knowledge Storm. Um, you know, like I said, we were trying to convince companies like Dell and IBM to have content and to <laughs> let us syndicate and let us promote it um, <clears throat> with our directory. So we were acquired in 2007 uh, by a large B2B publisher uh, called Tech Target, who you may be familiar with. Um, where I managed their in-house team, uh, which was every every channel of marketing, you know, from AB multivariate testing, paid, organic. Um, really, if it involved traffic going to the website, doing stuff, um, it was probably connected to something that my team was doing. Um, during that time, the relevant part of that is that to this discussion would be, I had my first experience working with a really stellar editorial team um, and people who were thinking publishing, thinking content creation. Um, and I was thinking leads and conversions and search traffic and organic channels and, and all those other AB multivariate testing. Um, and so my initial interactions with them weren't so productive. Uh, and then over time, just realized how important great content is um, and how it, you know, how much of an asset a great subject matter expert or an editorial leader is. Um, but it's still very hard to influence what they do um, and make sure that you can get on the same page for the why for content. And that was really the um, driving force for trying to, you know, create Market Muse and turn it into a way for um, we can for us to unify demand gen, unify search teams, content strategists, content marketers, as well as editorial or subject matter experts. Um, bringing them all together on the vision that we want to put our company's best foot forward. We want to be authoritative. Uh, we want to win. So and I think I'm speaking from the lens of 
our target market is, uh, is CMOs. And it's companies who want to unify those typically siloed teams around the promise that if we write great content and we exhibit expertise, we're going to win. Um, and that's the spirit of, of what we do at Market Muse. We, if you meet me in an elevator, it's, you know, we set the standard for content quality. Um, and that's something that, you know, regardless of what team you're on, you can get behind. And I think that that's really why, um, you know, why Market Muse is so special and differentiated. We're not trying to game a system. Uh, we're trying to make sure your business puts, your best, puts their best foot forward. Um, and that gets me excited uh, because I think so many times, um, you know, in my career, you know, people get one dimensional, they get KPI driven. Um, and that KPI isn't something that all the rest of the teams share. Um, and I love it when teams can get behind data, but it's not data that limits their creativity or um, kind of snuffs out their expertise. It's interesting you mentioned limiting creativity, because I feel like that's, that is a bit of like a misconception that a lot of people have about SEO driven content yeah. strategies that is a way of limiting limiting creativity and i think it's maybe a reason that some C cmos and some companies are slightly resistant to the idea yeah. like uh, mainly because they don't understand it so before we get into sort of the more technical side i think maybe we lay the groundwork and sort say why is seo important to a good content strategy why do cmos need to not just have an seo driven content strategy but also understand like the factors that go into creating that kind of content strategy yeah, for sure. Um, you know, you have to create a call. If you're a CMO, it is your job, one of them, one of your many, um, mm -hmm. to create a culture of content. Um, because no matter whether you're selling socks, I was just speaking to um, a good friend of mine on the phone a few minutes ago. And I said, you know, and he's, he, he runs an e-commerce business um, that has, you know, 10 e-commerce sites. And I said, you have to, your CMO's responsibility is to create a culture of content, not just a, con a culture of orders or average order size or, you know, uh, any kind of those types of metrics. It's got to be a culture of content because you have to think critically about being there for that buyer journey or that customer journey. Anytime somebody is taking an action that can be associated with um, your business and what you stand for, that exhibition of expertise needs to come from you. So if you don't support that buyer journey, those people are going to be supported by other fact, the other things. They might be supported by ads and driven and influenced by ads. They might be driven and influenced by other channels, social media, it might be you know, communities, um, competitors, right? Um, so by you, by exhibiting your expertise with content, you are connecting the dots uh, between not just the intent of people who might buy your product or service, but they're, you're showing them that you know them, you're showing them that you understand their journey, that you understand their problems, whether they're haven't decided to buy in their early stage awareness and or whether they're actually in the con consideration or you know, purchase process. And the content you create also needs to support post-purchase, whether it's um, troubleshooting or the types of things people think after they purchase yours or similar products, um, but also development, champion development, like I, I like to say, or adherence, depending on your industry. Because I want somebody who's bought my product to get excited about reading something that I produce and maybe become an advocate or a champion and increase the virality of what we have, or 
kind of stoke the creation of or the support of a community that we might have developed. So search-driven content isn't low-quality content. It's content that supports the buyer journey. And the huge misconception um, that I find is that SEO content is X. Um, first of all, it's not accurate. Um, it is based on, you know, misinformation. SEO, content that drives great search engine optimization outcomes is the same content that your sales team needs for sales enablement. It's the same content that you would want to put in front of, you know, somebody who was uh, interested in investing in your business. It's content that illustrates expertise and puts your business best foot forward. And I think that the bridge between low quality content equaling stuff that's going to trick the search engine and the reality of 2022 and beyond is that the content that you're creating needs to put your best foot forward. Anything you're not proud of as a CMO shouldn't be on your website. So if you've got content that gets a lot of traffic, or generates a large percentage of your leads and you're not proud of that, you've got to fix that because people's first experience with your business is this thing no one likes. And I'm not saying go delete it. I'm saying you've got to strategically improve, enhance, and make that relevant and make that connect to your buyer journey. So any errors of the past or mistakes can be righted. Don't get scared because of that. And I have a funny example that I always use is I was talking to a translation company 90% of their organic traffic came from a, a temporal piece that someone wrote about expletives in foreign language, <laughs> right? And they're like, oh God, we don't want to touch it, right? And, and I was like, no, 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 you, you're, it's not that you don't, you shouldn't touch it. It's like, you have to touch it. You've got to figure out how to weave that into your narrative, how to use that success. Um, and that happens all the time. Uh, businesses are too reliant on landing pages. They're too reliant on pages that just got lucky and they punch above their weight. I like to say punch above their weight when a page that's really not that good um, is performing well. Teams just don't know what to do in those situations. Um, and that's what, those are the types of answers I like to bring. It's, you know, we, oh gosh, we have this, we have this competitor that just started publishing in our zone or, you know, I don't like this type of content or someone told me this is how SEO works and it's something you know completely one-dimensional and, and ridiculous. Um, or they've made investments in low quality content because that was what they perceived to be an easy way to check the box for SEO. When the reality is, you know, you've got to take a process inventory of everything that relates to content creation or updates and enhancement at your business. And you've got to accelerate all of those and make the manual labor go away as much as possible so that your product experts, your subject matter experts, your CMO, it might be your CEO, it might be your founder, or it might just be someone who is an expert who you have a connection to can write. They can build the narratives. They can focus on quality and putting your best foot forward as a business versus write article on X, right? Uh, must have SEO content here, need content block on category page. I mean, there's no love there, frankly. They don't, it doesn't work unless it really tells the story and showcases your business. It may give you short-term wins, <clears throat> uh, any of these you know, more tactical things, but it's not how you build over time. The easiest way for a CMO to kind of get religion on this is to say high quality content comprehensive content that appeals to the customer journey, the buyer, the, the prospect and customer journey is basically 
investment that has compounding returns. Whereas other channels like paid, um, those are more like gambling, right? It can be really, really good advantage gambling, right? But they're instant gratification. You put money in and money comes out. It's the difference between inbound lead, inbound leads and outbound leads. Outbound leads, you put so much energy calls and time out, you get so many qualified conversations in. You know, paid is very similar. Investments in long-term growth potential and authority um, come from high quality content and search driven outcomes. Um, and what that also does is it inspires confidence internally. Um, if I can confidently predict how much content I need to create on this topic to move the needle, I don't have so much of publish and hope, right? I publish something, maybe it'll do good, maybe it won't. Unfortunately, that's how like 90% of teams work. They publish and they actually don't know how the outcome's gonna be. Um, and their content efficiencies are super weak, such that, you know, they may publish 10 articles to get one to work, right? What does that do to your true costs? It 10Xs them for effectiveness. So let's say you, you, ask, some, you ask a CMO, how much does content cost? I don't know, three or $400. Okay. How efficient are you? I don't even know what that means. I'm not measuring that. Okay. Well, how much content do you publish or update and how frequently do they hit their goals? Oh, our content doesn't have goals. Okay, let's just say they did. How often does it hit their goals? And they say, you know, 10% after you do the math. Okay, well, now how much does content cost? And then they're like, oh, crap, it's three to $5,000 per effective page. Um, and then their ears start ringing. And then, you know, they come down. You're like, hey, we've got to make this more efficient. So then everybody's going to be inspired to invest more. You know, I always like to say, if you just have an editorial calendar and you're not having any creative license, well, do your best job with that editorial calendar, put your best foot forward, be as performant as possible. The next time that budget hat comes around, you're going to say, hey, look what I did with what you told me to write. Imagine if I could strategically and surgically build additional things onto this or reactively or competitive driven, um, how much more successful would be. So I think the biggest misconceptions from CMOs who are struggling at investment is that it's all a reporting game or it's a bunch of, you know, black box tricks. Reality is it's about partnership building, right? And building great relationships with others so that they will be inspired by your content. And it's about being there for your prospects and it's about being there for your customers. And every business can be get behind that. Um, and it's a shame uh, that there's still a great percentage of, you know, mid-market to enterprise CMOs that see SEO as kind of like this checkbox, they reluctantly have to have to click, right? Um, instead of seeing it as an opportunity to inspire excellence in editorial and storytelling narratives. Awesome, Jeff. Like as a as a content writer by trade, that is my background. You're you're singing like the absolute tune that I want to hear right here. Like, I've, I've worked with SEO consultants who have just gone on about keyword density is like the main thing to look for. And I was just like, no, that's so like 2008. Like, do we even talk about keyword densities anymore when it comes to SEO? Like, oh. it, it, correlations are important, but they're correlations, right? It's, you know, the, the, the from an editorial perspective, and this is, yeah, the thing that a writer, a thing that a will doesn't want to see, right, <laughs> is a, you know, to do something unnatural, right? Why would I do this thing that's unnatural? So how can you frame that data in the form that will likes 
That's, and that speaks his language. And I don't mean British English, right? I'm talking about speaks his language, the language of a writer, the language of an expert. And that is inspired by, you know, sometimes finding a blind spot and saying, hey, you know, well, you wrote this, you wrote this great article about content marketing strategy, but you didn't really get into target audiences and buyer personas. That would be a really great way to enhance that page. And you're like, oh, wow. Yeah, I did. I missed that. Um, I would love to do that. Maybe I'll write an entire article about buyer personas too. How would that work, Jeff? I'm putting myself in a box as an SEO for this conversation. And I would go, sweet. Yeah, please do that. Because you really know those things. So that's the conversation that should happen. Not, hey, put target audience in this article, the keyword. You see the difference there? Definitely, definitely. That's so, the difference. Right? So answer, hey, hey, answer the question. Hey, you, when you covered the buyer journey in that same article we were talking about, you didn't really get into early stage awareness. Can you, uh, would you expand on that? Maybe write something about the three phases that we use in our sales funnel. Oh yeah, great idea. That's the conversation. So it's, it's more of a more of an organic process. Uh, mm -hmm. It feels than this kind of like the the ticking the check boxes like you were saying before. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm betting a lot of our listeners who have seen the title of the episode, heard the intro, and heard mm -hmm. the word search bots are thinking, how does search bots make things more organic? Like surely bring in bring in more sort of robot components is removing that organic element. So before we get into that. Jeff, I think maybe it's worth, worthwhile to sort of explain what exactly our search bots are to our, our audience and how they incorporate into SEO strategies. So the two things that I would be thinking about from the standpoint of what is a bot um, is just the anatomy of a search engine. So a search engine is um, <clears throat> crawling. There's other pieces of it for, for simplicity, though. It's crawling and indexing. So crawling is an action done by a robot uh, of, of the equivalent of a bot. It is going and based on some reason, uh, it could be just trying to crawl the whole web. It could be trying to crawl everything about coffee cups, right? You know, it could be trying to crawl. That would be more of a vertical search engine that's driven by a topic, right? Um, could be trying to crawl and index news. Well, it's trying to grab as much content as it can off of your site. And it's learning about your site, where you have strengths and weaknesses, the structure of the site. Um, and it is telling the story of your business. Also, there's important things about, it's telling it's information about linking, who's linked to you, who do you link to? Um, and it's trying to inform, inform uh, itself about, trying to educate itself about who you are, how powerful you are, how authoritative you are on what are you authoritative. Um, so it's important as a content strategist or a CMO to understand that that's happening all the time, right? And are you making sure that that bot is, um, is getting everything that it's supposed to get when it's looking at you, right? Is it telling the right story? So for example, let's say you have this really important content piece um, and it's buried like behind the one link on your homepage in B2B tech or at large enterprise, this is something that everybody's face will go red. The only way from your homepage to get to all of your content is through one link in the bottom right, this says blog, you click on it, and then you have a date archive structure. Well, this article you spent like five grand on, and it's beautifully written, and it's a wonderful narrative, um, is four clicks away from that page. So when the search, the, the 
crawler comes to your site and flows down your site, it's saying, well, this article, yeah, it might be good, but you know, this webmaster, the person who owns this site doesn't think it's all that important. They're not pointing to it most, a lot of places. They're not promoting it and, and making it so it's woven in elegantly into a lot of their content. It's hidden in this like data archive and, and it's five clicks away. It's telling the story that that article isn't very important to your business, right? And so you've got to be conscious of the way that these things are being indexed. Is the content that you're writing even being crawled and consumed by the search engine um, such that it can know all of these things. A lot of times you'll have scripts and, and uh, speed and all this stuff. So the best way to think about the, this type of, you know, bot interaction is I've got to make sure, first of all, that I'm technically sound, I'm fast. Um, and then all the content that's on my site can be consumed such that my, you know, subject matter experts and my content team has a chance. It's having all that stuff buttoned up gets you the invitation to the party. It doesn't get you into the door, um, but it gets you the invitation to the party. If you've got things that are uh, a mess um, behind the scenes, um, that's going to be a, um, a hard, it's going to be a hard time to even know where the address of the party is. Um, and so everything on that kind of technical search engine optimization side um, is your, you know, the foundation to your house. So it's, it's sort of like, yeah, it's like architecture for, for where the important things need to be in the, right. in the house kind of thing. It's about like knowing where, knowing where the kitchen is. And right. even, even then when you're in the kitchen, knowing where, knowing where your knives are, knowing where your plates are, knowing where the fine china is and when to get out at the right time. Is, is, is that, is that the right way of thinking so, about it, Jeff? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm just, but it, it's one of those things where it's like, the outcomes are common sense, but the outputs aren't as, um, easy to just naturally get. Um, so, uh, you know, I'll, I'll use an example of, um, you know, information architecture, right? You think, okay, well, I want, um, I want to make sure people have access to this section of the site. Okay. Well, there's also, it's not just a, a tree, right? Where it's one path. You want this to be multiple ways to have access to that. Right, and so not, people won't naturally understand that um, they need to provide <clears throat> provide ways to get to these things. You know, a great example of this is in e-commerce. Um, people often think that it's a separation of church and state between their product pages, and then even if they have them, their blog or their content or their influencer stuff, when really those things need to be woven together. An ex a, a person's experience on a, for example, a category page on an e-commerce site needs to be that of a buyer's journey. You need to showcase everything you've got. What good is your buyer's guide, right? If no one, someone who lands in uh, somewhere as important to the purchase decision as a, as a, or consideration phase as a category page, if they don't know that you all are experts, you're experts in these, even if it's socks and shoes, right? You know what it's like, you know, the problems people have, you know, what that consideration phase looks like. And so showcasing everything you have to show them that you know them, to show them that you know that buying process is critical at, that, at those important junctures. A lot of people, you know, they get really, really tied to the, um, the perspective that um, one page does one thing um, instead of thinking about, you know, the buyer journey. Um, and that is critical. Um, so putting your best foot forward there, making sure you have access to these things in critical junctures, um, and, you know, 
those are the ways that um, you can make it about architecture. You can make it about the foundation um, and get everybody behind it. Because when you say those things in words, it, it's so obvious. It's like, oh yeah, why, why is there no content on this page? Um, it's just like a couple things on it. Like, why wouldn't we put our best foot forward and show them that we actually know everything about this? Like, let's say somebody's first experience is on this page. What experience are they having? Do they understand everything we've invested in um, to power the, you know, the marketing wing of this business? Um, and in a lot of cases, you know, people aren't thinking about that in that critical lens. So it sounds like to me, initially, it sounds like it just takes a little bit of reworking the pages that you're directing people to. Mm. Is that it? Or are there other specific tools that CMO should be using, other specific processes they should be thinking about and setting up this kind of architecture? Well, um, there's, there's a lot of things that are freely accessible. Um, you know, these are more practical tips, right? So um, there's, you need to know what you're about, right? You need to know what experience, in this case, search engines have when they look at your site. Fortunately, um, the two most prominent search engines being in Google, and depending on where you're located, even, uh, you know, Yandex, Baidu have their own versions of these things, but um, being Webmaster Tools and Google Search Console, which used to be Google Webmaster Tools, um, <clears throat> give you a lot of information about what experience they're having with your sites. And it's free. Um, and so that is something that are, is critical for you to uh, get in, in place and be monitoring and managing. Um, someone needs to be responsible if you're a CMO of those instances and reporting what those things are, report, uh, are reporting. Um, other things that you might want to think about, depending on the size and structure of your site, are um, how important do you want content to be? Um, how, uh, how much knowledge do you have that's predictive uh, that relates to content creation and content updates? It's not just your content management system. It's the information that informs research, informs prioritization, um, and also what tools or data sets do your strategists have, do your writers have, uh, or do your writing resources have? or do your search engine optimization professionals have? Um, I like to say from a tech stack perspective, um, be thinking about something that's going to ensure that there are no manual processes that are kind of done only out of someone's brain. Um, that's a bad thing, right? Um, you've got to, they, if it's just coming out of that, first of all, it's not repeatable, it's not scalable, and it's not supported by any sort of data point. Um, so that's like rolling dice. If you're rolling dice, make sure you know how often you're rolling dice um, and you're okay with that. Um, if you believe there's an art, great, creative only. Um, but I like to make sure that my creative team members, my beautiful narrative creators, my beautiful writers, my graphic artists and such, that they're not doing manual labor on things that they're not good at. And a lot of times we're asking writers to do keyword research. We're asking writers to be SEOs. We're asking, we're asking SEOs to be writers. Um, we're asking demand gen people to write copy. Um, and none of that stuff should be happening. Um, so doing a process inventory and seeing where you're doing uh, manual labor is step one. Step two is do a process inventory 
Um, and are any of your best practices or processes done with if-then statements or rule-based? Um, document those too. Um, those things should be automated and improved with artificial intelligence and machine learning. And that's what makes people's eyes glaze over. Um, but that's the reality. Nothing you do, if you have a five-year-old process, it's not optimized. Um, so basics for a CMO, how do you decide on what you're going to write, create or update? Are you using data for that? What data points are you using? Um, how are you qualifying uh, leads? Are you doing it predictively with AI or are you doing it manually with rules? Um, how are you measuring uh, your lead nurturing campaigns or how are you measuring the performance of your um, you know, newsletters or things like that? Um, what of that is manual? Um, and you've got to figure that out and put, so that the outcomes are going to be that you don't have people doing um, work that is suboptimal or uh, more like a hope, hit and hope or a dice roll. Um, and then when you get to that, you get unification between the teams um, because they all then want to contribute. If you know, everybody wants to jump on the bus when you know, it's super successful. Um, you know, you'd be really, really excited and in interested to hear that, you know, our content team bats, you know, 50%, right? Uh, well, guess what? A lot more people on your team are going to want to give you content ideas. They're going to want to, you know, be part of this process. Maybe your CEO wants you to interview him uh, or her to, um, you know, to guide some of this stuff uh, or update content, you know, so bring the wins, to the team and show them that they can be involved, you're going to end up with a higher quality, a more unified group. Um, and if people think, oh gosh, I don't have any time for that. Okay, well, do you have time to talk? Because I got transcription. I'm a great editor. I'm a great writer. Um, so when you know, I'm thinking about how do we get departments around this is to say, well, here's our wins. Um, here's where we're um, able to integrate it against our stack. Um, technologies though, there's, there's so many, um, I would just make sure, you know, how confident you are in the way that your analytics are set up, you know, whether you're using Google analytics or other, um, you know, your webmaster tools and, um, search console is all in place. It's telling you actionable data. Um, and then if you do need more, uh, start thinking about competitive analysis, uh, platforms, content strategy, content intelligence platforms. Um, the way that I like to think about it is if you're investing more than one headcount in a particular channel, there's likely um, a software product that will make that person twice as effective. Um, and so that would, if I have three writers or content team members, they probably need, uh, they could probably be made twice as effective with, with a proper software um, and then happier. Um, so I would, I like to take that if I'm a CMO and think, okay, here's a channel that I'm working on. Here's the technology behind it, um, process inventory, and then, you know, go from there, uh, ask all of your team members. If you're a CMO, ask all your team members, what, what are their manual processes? What are the processes that they hate? What are the processes they're doing that they're not good at? And ask really for frank responses. Um, and what you'll see is that, um, they, in a lot of cases, people feel about search engine optimization, 
that, you know, they need a keyword research tool and they need a competitive analysis tool and that's it. Okay. Well, how are you deciding what you're doing next? How are you prioritizing projects? How are you predicting the upside potential of those projects? Um, that's when you start thinking about um, better tooling and, and using artificial intelligence to kind of advance the predictive nature of the return on investment of those things. Uh, you just can't, you can't set your watch to, you know, hopes and, and, and gambles. Um, and if you're a business of any size, uh, you shouldn't want to. You, you shouldn't want to, but as you said, like, at, the, at the beginning of this conversation, paid gives instant gratification, yep. whereas SEO is a slow burn. And I'm sure a lot of CMOs are sitting around listening to this episode thinking, this all sounds great. This is exactly what I do, what I want to do with my department. I want to bring in these tools. I want to give them the tools to be able to do this stuff. I just can't convince the CEO yeah. or the CFO to finance this, this, to give us the funds to be able to put this into practice. How can they go about doing that? How can they get that kind of buy-in? Like you said, bring the wins. What if you don't have any wins to show yet? Yeah. So if you're a brand new site, um, there's a process that I like to talk through called competitive cohort profiling, um, where we're looking at experiences on other sites um, where their strategies are and how successful they've been in order to model how successful we can be. Um, so that's something if you're a brand new site, most people aren't in that situation though. Um, they have some existing presence. Um, it depends on how bad your current situation is. And I'm not saying depends when I say depends, you know, the, that's the SEO diaper, right? It depends. Um, it's, uh, I'm saying depends, but I will give you the examples. If you're real bad, if things are real bad, if you're getting no meaningful impact, the thing you want to watch out for, it's not relevant to our industry. Oh, this isn't going to work for us. Guess what? You're not special. So sorry, that's what you've got to shape heads. We are not special, right? Competitive analysis sometimes um, can influence that. However, um, everyone needs to be doing this. There isn't an exception. Um, even if it's just focusing on brand uh, or branded uh, placements. Um, so if someone says, oh, well, you know, this isn't for us, we're just focused on brand. Okay, well, you need to focus on brand SERP, uh, brand search engine result page influence, as well as branded, because I bet you that's a garbage can. If somebody's saying this isn't going to work for us, it's all about branded for us. Um, your branded search is probably hilariously covered by communities, forums, other companies, and even competitors. Um, and so that's where your steps are. One thing I like, if, if there's CEOs that are uh, resistant to this, um, is, is solutions like Full Story or um, Hotjar or something like that. Uh, Microsoft has a new one called Clarity where it's basically showing you a DVR or a TiVo of your user sessions. Um, I like to look, I like to show that to people who maybe are resistant that people, you know, are coming to the site and they're probably not doing what you want them to be doing. Um, and that can be a real big cringe fest. If you need to put a big splash of cold water into someone's faces, watching people use your website or use your application is a real good way to do it. Um, the best product person in the world can be brought to their knees and in tears when you watch enough people use something um, in a suboptimal way. 
Um, and you're, you know, it's like yelling at the screen in a horror film. No, 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 don't go there. Um, and, and, and that's where, you know, I think heads can be shaped. Um, another one is to show other experiences in that buyer journey, right? Um, you can't control it. You can't control it. But um, let's say you're in a B2B tech business and, you know, showing them a buyer journey that doesn't involve you, but it's about you. Maybe they're going to G2 Crowd or Captera to learn about you. Um, and maybe they're looking at a competitor who's put together a, a competitive analysis. Um, maybe they're learning about how to do something from somewhere else. Um, and you weren't even involved in that and saying to them, how do you expect us to be there at the bottom of the funnel if we weren't there for them at the, at the top of the funnel? How do, you, how do you expect us to be the one that gets the sale when we weren't exhibiting expertise before they knew they had a problem. And that question resonates. It's to say, why do you think we deserve to win here? Why do you think that this is gonna be their purchase decision when we haven't informed it? And that shapes heads. Um, they recognize that, you know, writing an article that defines what is CRM, you know, that article doesn't convert to $100,000 software sales, but it's really important to Salesforce to own that. And you can take that to the bank. It sounds to me like the biggest problem is making assumptions about your customers, making your assumptions about how they behave, making assumptions about your own worth as a brand and an organization. Like if you think, oh, our product's so good, we don't need to do SEO, we don't need to do content. It's like, how do people know that, that, that your product is good? How, how can they trust that that product is good? And that's when content and SEO comes in. Yeah, I mean, it, that is a marketing channel, right? But it's also a marketing channel that can be supported so dramatically by search. Let's say you have a thriving community. Let's say you have um, a thriving army of customers, right? There are creative ways to take that beautiful situation and turn it into great things for marketing to inspire virality, right? Uh, virality meaning you're a buyer or a someone who's trying or buying has enough incentive to tell their friends in some either manual or automated way. There's a thing called a Z coefficient. Any CMO needs to know this, right? You want to create campaigns that have that, right? Um, so don't rest on your laurels that that's going to be forever, right? You can't. Uh, or that channel should not be one-dimensional. One so companies that get 80% of their sales based on paid, right? I'm like, great, but that's super risky, right? Uh, you know? Or 80% of their traffic and conversions come from organic or 100%. It's super risky, right? Um, you're missing a piece of that journey. Um, and so you've got to be thinking about, I mean, one of my favorite things is untapped user-generated content. It's, this it's like a, a, a wallet that every time you open it up, there's a $20 bill in there, right? Um, and you're not taking advantage of that. So how do you turn community management into content inspiration? Um, yeah, you know, I was just having this conversation with a, a jewelry 
um, company who I'm, who I work with and they have a hundred thousand person Facebook group, right. Who's just posts all the stuff. And it's like, and they're like, we don't, you know, we don't invest in content. I said, I don't give, I don't give a rat. If uh, you didn't invest in it, you got it. You ain't using it. That's even worse. <laughs> right. That's like, you know, you're not using it for any value. You're not getting any secondary value from that. So when someone goes and looks for, you know, two carat engagement ring, right. They find four of your competitors and not you. And you've got this thriving Facebook group. Good for you, bro. Right. Um, Cause you, but you could have been there. You could be doing, cause everyone trusts you with that, with that. And, and you weren't there. And it's, it's so powerful, UGC, UGC as well. Like it's, it's one of the, in B2B, it's one of the most trusted forms of content for buyers. For B2C, I feel like everyone trusts user reviews more than do with like standard press or like internal content. So having a content strategy that's backed up by UGC, that's really powerful. That's a very powerful thing. Well, and the common misconception, um, and this one, really think about it, is that those entities don't invest in search and content. Those entities are not solely UGC. I can say that confidently because they're all my customers. <laughs> all right. Um, and I used to work for one, right? A publisher in that space. They invest in buyer journey. They invest in ways to get the most out of those UGC items. Um, you know, think about the FBA market the Amazon FBA market. It's one of the most, most frothing industries in the world. I think um, there's, I think there's been something on the order of like a hundred billion dollars in venture investment in the space. Um, a great deal of the sites that power those are review sites and product sites. And, you know, that, you know, where's the revenue come from? Um, many of the most popular publishers it comes from writing journalistic review content, not just user review, user generated. Um, so what are you doing in that space? What is your business doing to invest in those things? Um, and what, why do you need, right? Do you need to say, okay, well, we need a certain number of leads from this. Cool. Write it down, set that bar and then go invest in ways to get there. Um, and that's where I feel like um, on search is underinvested in uh, because the perception is that it's hard. Perception is that it's not for us um, or that it yields low quality user experiences. Um, and none of those things are true. Um, those things are true if you plan to do this and go, yay, and then crash. Like, you know, most case studies that involve kind of like, here's my hot tricks, you know, I call them touts, you know, in, in the, in the sports betting world, the tout is the person that tells you that they've got the pick of the week, right? Well, there's that in the search game, right? We got to get my course. We're the pick of the week. You know, here's the trick you need to do today. Right. Um, and, uh, but the sites that they use as examples, when that trick is all that's employed, go like this. And then they crash. You hear about them when they go like this. They don't talk about it much when it goes like that. You're building a compound interest formula. I'll tell you what, though. If you've got an existing site, 
here's your trick of the week. I'm just kidding. That was just <laughs> nice, nice and ironic. Um, if you've got an existing site, sometimes you can find some quick wins. Those quick wins are going to be really, really obvious after someone tells you what they are. But it might be a page that just needs to be updated. Or where you have existing authority and you've got to go invest in a great article you know, fill through, pass through that and, and like say, you know, hey, we already are, we own this space because of all the work we've done. We spent 10 years building this B2B brand. Obviously, we're going to own something. We own this brand, this uh, topic. We don't have a great guide on it. We don't have a guide for this industry. Let's go write that. Those are going to be quick wins. So it's a long-term investment, but if you've got any existing brand or any existing site, there's probably a few low-hanging fruit things out there um, that you can knock out, illustrate that this is worth investing in quickly. It's not just foundation building. I mean, building foundations is boring, right? You know, <laughs> it's like, oh gosh, you know, how, how many, how many uh, home builders, you know, put the amazing foundations that they build, right? It's about the decorations. It's about the kitchen, right? Um, so, you know, you'll have some finishes and kitchens, out there for you. Um, and a lot of times it's as simple as updating a few pages. Um, sometimes it requires a little bit more work. Sometimes it requires a lot of work. Um, but um, just take that into consideration. It's not, it's not about, um, it's not really about that short-term gratification. If you need it though, there's probably be a few things you can get away with. In some cases, there's a lot of things. If you've got, if your site's been through 10 migrations and you haven't focused on search or you just switched CMSs and you didn't have somebody managing that migration, or you think you've been hit by a penalty or, you know, you've gone through some sort of trauma in the past. Well, there's a lot of instant gratification out there if you fix all that stuff. Um, that's just something to think about. Awesome. And I think that's, that's probably something that our audience can think about uh, to wrap up this episode, Jeff, because I think we've covered covered a fair bit there and it's all been really great stuff and really useful stuff um thank you for for joining us today jeff thank you for being a part of cmo cmo convos um and thank you for listening audience uh, we'll be back soon with uh, with another cmo convo yeah can i do a quick plug oh go for it go for it all right yeah. great yeah. so um in uh by the time this launches we'll have relaunched uh, our subsidiary brand uh grep words if your business is um doing business intelligence for using keyword data. If you're doing analysis of search engine results pages, I um, mean, you need to do that at scale um, or you want to bring data in-house or you're already buying data, uh, that type of data, uh, please check it out, GrepWords, G-R-E-P-W-O-R-D-S.com. Um, and MarketMuse, we just launched, we'll have just launched our new keyword research solution and topic analysis solution built into our platform. We have a free version. Um, and you can also look at um, our self-service solution uh, is uh, now available. There's some really solid promo code. Shoot me a note, Jeffrey underscore coil on Twitter or Jeff at marketmuse.com. Uh, tell them that you heard me on this podcast and or this webinar and I will um, shoot you a promo code. Awesome. There you go. He's giving you the advice. He's giving you the tools to do it. Thank you very much, Jeff. Thanks so much.